everyone, welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, Year 2, where this year we're reading through and studying the entire New Testament, one chapter at a time. Thanks again for joining us in discovering God's plan and your part in it. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 23, and reading over it, uh, I think it's really easy to think about other people. One, it's easy to look at this and be like, oh man, these Pharisees are pretty terrible. And then second, you might think, oh, I know somebody just like these Pharisees. Uh, And I think the encouragement would be, okay, uh, let's do a little bit of looking at ourselves. How are we uh, like these warnings that are directed toward the Pharisees? First of all, I think Jesus is pretty like unhinged at this point. This entire chapter is an incredible indictment against basically all the religious leaders of the day. I mean, he's specifically calling out the Pharisees, uh, but I think this would apply to many of the people who were leaders in that day. And there's essentially just constant warnings of how they are missing the mark. And by missing the mark, they're missing the kingdom. Yeah. So the basically the entire chapter is laid out for Jesus to to send his seven woes or speak his seven woes over the Pharisees and scribes. But then at the very end too, he also is like mourning over Jerusalem because they too, like the Pharisees are in a similar situation where they just are rejecting Jesus straight out. Um, One thing that really caught my eye about the Pharisees when Jesus is calling them out in like the last, I believe it's like the last one, the last woe to the Pharisees and scribes. Um, he basically says to them, you are, you're not what you say you are, because you even say to yourself in verse 30, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. And I think that is, that's similar for even me to say, obviously I'm not Jewish, I'm not a, I'm not a Pharisee, but I think there are many times that I would read through the stories of the Old Testament or even the New Testament when they're crucifying Jesus, where it's like, well, that definitely would not have been me. But even myself reading these own chapters, I I recognize my own skepticism of how I probably would have reacted if I would have witnessed what Jesus was up to, or if I would have witnessed what the prophets beforehand were trying to say. Because how easy is it for us, even today, to just follow the crowd because it's what everybody else is doing, or... Um, You speak out of your discomfort or things that, I don't know, like that bother you. So for instance, the Israelites, they were speaking out of their frustration and their lack of food, their lack of water. And I know without a doubt, those same thoughts, those same things would have come into my own mind. Um, And coming from a place of, like I said, oftentimes skepticism, hearing the, the message of the prophets or the the really outlandish things that it seemed that they were saying at the time, I probably would have gone right along with everybody else and been like, yeah, those guys are absolutely nuts. There's no way I'm listening to a word they say. So it is a really, it's really interesting that Jesus is calling that specific piece out because I know myself, I would normally say like, oh no, I would always follow Jesus. Like I would definitely do what he said, knowing this side of things. But coming from the other side where you are living it in the moment, I think it would be much more of a challenge. And I would more than likely fall on the side of what the Pharisees are being accused of. It is really easy to assume that we are always the good guys in this story. Uh, And I think think that happens when we read over things and just assume that 
Jesus is calling out other people's problems Mm -hmm. and not our own. So just to kind of walk through this chapter, there are several warnings to the Pharisees, and these are applicable to us today. The the first thing from the very top, I think, verse 3, Jesus is telling his disciples, like, you need to, like, listen to them because they sit on Moses' seat. That means they're teaching the law, and the law is important. But he said, don't do the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Mm -hmm. So from the very top of the chapter, Jesus is saying, these people love to preach and teach and tell you what to do, but they don't even follow their own preaching and teaching. And let me tell you, if you have seen somebody do this, like if you are aware of incredible fault and incredible sin in somebody's lives, and then you watch them preach like how you should be faultless and how you should be honoring God with everything in you. Uh, You remember when you saw that happen. Mm -hmm. You did not forget when you saw that happen because it is shocking and it is like really unsettling. Like, oh man, how can you tell people to be so holy when you are definitely not and you are actively hiding your sin? Like it is, it's unsettling. And that's what Jesus is warning them about. Like these guys love to tell you what to do but they are hiding their own sin like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that that comes up in quite a few of his woes. Like there's a lot of those different instances where it's like you require so much of someone else and yet your own life is not reflective of it. So I think it's kind of, there's like two two ways, I guess, that Jesus goes about it, where he talks about the expectations that they put on other people and then at the same time, like not following and the other side of that is that they don't they just reject Jesus altogether. So there's like two there's like two common themes within the different woes of of those two categories. I feel like that as we read it was like, "Oh, okay, this is definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. This is definitely one of those." So the the first warning uh could be a little bit confusing to you if you don't spend a little bit of time reading over it, which always read it, like go listen to us read it or read it for yourself so you understand what's going on here. Uh, he talks about how they love finding the best seats in the synagogues. They love the greetings in the marketplaces. They love being called rabbi. They love being called teacher. They love being called father. And Jesus says, do not allow anyone to call you that because you are all brothers. So if you're trying to follow this to the letter, this could be like concerning because it's like, well, I'm a dad, like my kids call me father or I'm a teacher, like they, my students call me teacher. That's not really what Jesus is talking about, I don't think. Look over it for yourself and see what you think. It's like, it's almost like elevated positioning exactly. within the church. Well, it's within at least the, that's it's, what it seems like for today. Yeah, here it's within the church, but it's also within the community. But it's like it's like loving that title because it sets you apart and it feeds your pride. Like this is a warning against pride. And if you're dealing with significant pride, uh, you should not allow people to elevate yourself. And again, if you have seen pastors do this or if you have seen leaders do this, you know that you have seen it. Like those people that love being called out in public uh, and when they're in private, they're just not very kind. They're just not very respectful. Like this is not an issue that only existed in Jesus' day. It is very much alive and well today. And actually, having been a pastor for quite a while, uh, there is like an odd, there's just an odd feeling when people know who you are, they want to call you uh, Pastor Ryan. I actually did not thoroughly enjoy that. <laughs> You're uh, like, just, Please just call me Ryan. <laughs> because it just feels weird. But there is something about that, like, um, acknowledgement that's like kind of nice. And Jesus is like, hey, 
be careful. Like, watch out mm-hmm. because you don't want to let that go to your head. And I think it's easy to let that go to your head. It has, it has certainly gone to my head. Um, and I, I think, you know, we need to be really, really careful about that. Then he goes into this thing. Um, well, actually, before we get there, he, he again encourages people, the greatest among you will be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I feel like as we've been reading through Matthew this go-round, I'm noticing how often Jesus says that. Like, Humble you yourself. need to be the least. You need to be the bottom. Like, stop trying to be in charge of everyone. Uh, find ways to serve as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Like, it just seems like that's a consistent theme. Uh, he goes into this thing about swearing by the temple. Uh, which is really interesting. Apparently, they had made like a whole system of oaths that matter and oaths that don't matter, uh, which is so hilarious. What's the point? It, it feels like a game that you would play when you were like little kids. Like, well, I said I would do this, but I didn't <laughs> say it exactly that way. And then you're just like free and clear. Um, apparently, they had this whole system of like, if you swear by the gold in the temple, that mattered. But if you swore by the temple, that didn't matter. Interesting. It's like if you swore by the altar, that didn't matter. But if you swore by the the sacrifice on the altar, that mattered. Well, why would you do that? Why would you create a system like that? Doesn't it seem like the only purpose of that would be to deceive people, mm-hmm. like to, to be dishonest to people? And we know that God takes oaths very seriously. Like Like the way the oaths are commanded in the law is that really you should not even do them. Because God takes them so seriously. But if you do commit an oath, you are bound to that oath and you cannot be released from it. So the fact that they have like this whole subculture of what oaths matter and what oaths don't is unsettling at best. Uh, I think you might have skipped over the the prior woe. Um, but that one stuck out to me too. Because he's he's calling the Pharisees and the scribes hypocrites for shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. He also talks about like creating their own converts mm-hmm. and which it's so counterproductive because it's like, it feels like they're doing the right thing, but in actuality, they're just, they're guiding someone into complete blindness that will never actually be able to attain the kingdom of heaven anyway, because they themselves are becoming this like replica of what the Pharisees are so that it's just like, it kind of makes my heart sad a little bit. Like, Oh man, like they're just, they're giving empty promises of things that will never mean anything um and all for like the glory of god's kingdom that they will never fully understand or grasp i guess i'm glad you called that out because it it would be easy to look at that and be like wow jesus doesn't like missionaries but that's not not what's going on if you're going out and you're teaching somebody about like a myth of jesus or a myth of god they're not going to be christians or accepted into god's kingdom so it's just it's this sad picture that i get where it's like all these people that they were impacting, it was all, it was nothing. It was worth nothing. It, there was no fruit that came from it at all, except for eternal separation. They were literally bringing people into their own hypocrisy yeah. and trying to evangelize people with their hypocrisy, which is a sad. total waste of time. Um, next, we go into, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So what's going on here is that they are literally going out into their gardens and giving 10% of every crop they pull out of their garden. Mm -hmm. And we've heard before, like, there are types of, like, grain Mm -hmm. offerings. Mm -hmm. But when you look at, like, the different... I, I immediately think of, like, those bigger, like, sin offerings. And in my mind, it's like... It's there's certain ones that you give because you're recognizing that like weighty sin in your life. But if they're only 
coming with like these small little portions, it's almost like one, they're being greedy with what they're giving. And two, they're, they're like looking at themselves and saying, oh, there's nothing, there's nothing worth giving so much of an offering for anyway. Like I'm fine. I'm not doing anything wrong. So there's like this weird um, denial that I feel like I'm sensing in it as well as I'm not going to give as much as I can. The other thing is that they're, they're not being generous at all. Like mm-hmm. they, they don't, they don't actually take time to care financially for God's people and they don't take time to care for the, the poor among them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, sure, like tithe on everything. If you want to tithe on the salt in your house, go for it. If you want to tithe on your pepper, that's fine. God will accept that because it's 10%. You're trying to be faithful to the law. But what's even a bigger deal in the law is to care for widows and orphans and sojourners. And you're not doing any of that. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to do this very public giving of 10% of your salt and pepper, mm-hmm. but you're not doing any public care for the poor. And which do you think God is more concerned about, your salt and your pepper? Or And I understand it doesn't actually say that. Um, but like, don't you think he wants you to care for the poor more? Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus is pretty furious about that. Then he kind of goes into what I would say kind of this final movement of like just valuing outward appearance instead of inward mm-hmm, change. Mm-hmm. So he talks about um, cleaning cups. He talks about straining wine. He talks about being whitewashed tombs. All of these things are for extreme outward appearances, but the inside is disgusting. And I think that should something should be said of that because whitewashed tombs oftentimes gets like flung out there when yeah. people are like, well, you're being a hypocrite. You're a whitewashed tomb. Yeah, but okay, hypocrisy was a part of it, but... It is hilarious to me sometimes when some, in my opinion, some of the, mo- like the people that use this most frequently are the ones that are doing these exact same things. It's yeah. like, it's not just about hypocrisy. It was about the fact that you're trying to put on this weird, like, I don't know, guise of what you think is so amazing and people love you for when in reality, you're just a terrible person. The final little piece here is that Jesus is going to weep over Jerusalem. I think it is a pretty powerful image. Mm-hmm. And then he quotes Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm, and he's again claiming his divinity. Um, but I think it is powerful to see him moved by the the sin and like the, the loss that's in Jerusalem because God loves his people. And we see Jesus here lamenting over the lost nature of his people after he delivers like this fire sermon towards <laughs> the scribes and Pharisees. And so you see, I think, his his mercy and his grace and that he's not afraid to confront people, but he is still moved by the fact that they are so lost and he wants them to be found and brought into the kingdom. It's like that, that banquet feast we talked about yesterday, mm-hmm. like everyone's invited um, it's just really sad when they consistently reject the invitation. So I think a good year part for today would be to think about the, the Pharisees and what they've been called out for and really consider for yourself, rather than thinking about other people around you, really put yourself in the place of taking on these woes. Like, what does that look like in my life? Am I spotless? Am I just sh- like showing off this facade of everything's great, everything's awesome? Am I giving the best of what I can to God and his kingdom? Am I leading people in the way that is bringing them towards the kingdom or towards something of my own planning? So really consider as you're listening to the scripture today, how God can change and mold your own heart so that you are not reflective of these Pharisee hypocrisies and how your life can be um, a good lasting image of who Jesus is and his kingdom that he was bringing to to the earth. All right, guys, we'll be back again tomorrow with Matthew 24. We'll see you then.
Thanks for joining today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. As always, please consider partnering with us as we are a listener-supported podcast that we hope to continue to grow with support from listeners just like you. We've made it super easy to partner with us, and you can support us by following the link in our show notes or our description. You can support us with as little as $3 a month. Every little bit of this helps so much, and we're so thankful for your support. With that in mind, here's today's reading. Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seat in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father, who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers. 
you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem! the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. Don't forget, you can find us on just about every social media platform and YouTube. Let us know what you thought of today's episode, and if you have any questions, go ahead and post them there. You can also reach out to us directly at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. As always, if you don't have a Bible, or if you'd like to use the one that we use, uh, reach out to us via email, and we'll be happy to send one to you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow.